0: Remember when culture wars were lower stakes and more fun? Like the war on Christmas. Remember that? Remember how much simpler life was when we were arguing over whether or not Starbucks coffee cup proclaimed the incarnation of Christ strongly enough? The war on Christmas was great. I mean, because nowadays we're arguing over things that really have a direct impact on people's lives and that can actually lead to actual persecution, church in 21st century America. But the war on Christmas, that was some good vintage stuff. I think about uh, complaining that Netflix only has 257 holiday movies, and that's barely enough to watch 13 hours' worth every day for the month of December, right? Um, I think about the fact that only five of our radio stations here locally in DFW uh, play nonstop Christmas music. So, if any one of the, if four of them, for instance, are not playing Dominic the Donkey, my personal favorite, I can still find it somewhere. Uh, and only one of them started playing Christmas music before Thanksgiving. So, I almost had to actually celebrate that holiday this year. That was unfortunate. Um. I think about, like, I was just listening to, Andy put some music on Spotify the other day, and I was listening to these lyrics, and and can you believe that uh, I heard this guy singing not Merry Christmas, but Happy Holidays? Yeah, it was from this, like, notorious progressive named Bing Crosby. I haven't heard of him, (laughs) but um, we're on Christmas. I mean, it's it's kind of funny, because we haven't... We haven't discussed that too much in recent years. We've got bigger fish to fry, but I began thinking about the war on Christmas as I began digging deeper into our text for this morning. We're we're continuing in this series called When Love Comes Down, and we're taking a closer look at each of the four Gospels and the way that... Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John introduce us to the Jesus story, introduce us to who Jesus is and and what it means to uh, receive incarnation, God with us. And uh, today we're taking a look at John's gospel. John's gospel. And, you know, John's gospel is a different kind of gospel. There's no baby Jesus here. In fact, it starts out really ethereal and cosmic, even. And As I began to read this text more and more and allowed it to work within me, I realized that John is making some really bold and potent claims about who Jesus is and is challenging the Christmas that we think we're going to receive. And so, maybe the war on Christmas that we face is just different than the one that we have been uh, witness to in, in, in media or other sources. You know, John's message was intended to be good news for a Christian community living in that turn of the first to second century who, who actually understood what it meant to be persecuted. You know, they, they were living in a, in a day and age when they were sort of pressed from both sides, so to speak. They, had a, uh, they lived in a Roman empire and under a Roman government that was not too keen on this upstart uh, religious sect that claimed a lord or a king other than Caesar. And at the same time, they had to leave behind their Jewish tradition and, and the, the, the protection of that community, and, and so they were feeling hurt, and they were feeling lost, and they were feeling under attack, and they were desperate for someone or something to guide them and give them hope as a community of people. And so, when John begins his gospel, he does so in a way that is starkly different from other gospels in the Bible. Jesus is not just a king or a baby or even simply the Son of God. He's something more, John says. And so, that's where we begin in John chapter 1, verse 1. He says, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. The Word was with God in the beginning. Everything came into being through the Word, and without the Word, nothing came into being. What came into being through the Word was life, and the life was the light for all people. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness doesn't extinguish the light. A man named John, different John, was sent from God. He came as a witness to testify concerning the light so that through him, everyone would believe in the light. He himself wasn't the light, but his mission was to testify concerning the light. The true light that shines on all people was coming into the world. The light was in the world, and the world came into being through the light, but the world didn't recognize the light. The light came to his own people, and his own people didn't welcome him. But those who did welcome him, those who believed in his name, he authorized to become children of God, born not from blood nor from human desire or passion, but born from God. The Word became flesh and made his home among us. We have seen his glory, glory like that of God's only Son, full of grace and truth. If you've never heard these words before, they might sound kind of cryptic, and, and you're right. John doesn't make it easy for us early on, does he? I think sometimes we can easily forget that the Bible wasn't written for us. It's funny, John wasn't thinking about Richardsonians in 2022 when he was writing these words. He was writing to a, a context there that, that was steeped in, in Greek philosophy, And so, when we hear this word, the Word, with a capital W, we might ponder, what in the world is this word that John is talking about? In the Greek language, that word is logos, and it was this concept, this sort of philosophical concept that inspired the Stoics, for instance, and was coined by Aristotle, and it was basically this perfect idea or or perfection, or or maybe the best translation could be the divine mind, right? This, This ultimate logic and reason that guided this chaos of creation. That's where John begins. This word is God, is with God, and through this word, all creation comes into being. So John's making this really bold claim about Jesus from the very beginning, is that Jesus is more than than just a person who lived in a place and time. Jesus is more than a baby. This is not a birth narrative in that sense. It's much more cosmic than that. That, that for John, Jesus is, is everything that we could imagine and more so. Whoa. Like I said, John's a little extra, right? Jesus is bigger than we could possibly imagine. He's, he's making clear that this love is coming down, and yet the implication is that in some way this opens up and elevates who Jesus is and could be for us. Being this perfection, this divine mind here amongst us, this, this is something that would have been a balm or, or an oasis for a community that was under persecution to say that not just this great leader lived and died and rose again, not just that this king establishing a new kingdom, but, but rather that like something bigger than anything we could possibly comprehend right now is at the heart of this story. For a persecuted people, being able to see the grandness of that story in the midst of their very, very real persecution would have been a blessing. And so Jesus, for John, is perfection in the midst of persecution. He is life in the midst of death. He is light in the midst of overwhelming darkness. He is victory in the face of what feels like absolute defeat. As we approach Advent, I wonder… As our minds try to open and receive the divine mind, where does our imagination lead us? Have we allowed Jesus to grow limited in our own ways? As part of this war on Christmas, the idea that Jesus is less than what John is proclaiming Jesus truly is, that Jesus is somehow finite and contained and easily packed and placed over here, When in reality, he's nothing to be trivialized. He's nothing to be contained or controlled. John would argue that Jesus is either everything or Jesus is nothing. And so I wonder if we have allowed ourselves to receive something less than everything. If we'd allowed our own minds to to lose their imagination in understanding who Jesus could be. Not just for the world, but also just for us. So I think about Christmas movies this time of year. What are your favorite Christmas movies? Shout them out real quick. Favorite? White Christmas. Thank you, Bing Crosby. Yeah, I see you over there, Aaron. Elf. Andy, what's your favorite Christmas movie? Home Alone. Home Alone. Oh, if y'all could only see Andy's reaction to watching Home Alone. I think she's sadistic. Folks online, let us know what your favorite Christmas movies are. Christmas movies are great, although I will say in my household it can be frustrating because um, my daughter, God bless you, and my son, when there's a movie on that they like to watch, I I mean, there could be a tornado outside the house and they'd have no idea, right? Trying to break through that distraction is nearly impossible. Anybody else live with someone who gets so zoned into a movie that they... Cannot pay attention to anything else if that's you or your loved ones say, "Amen." Amen. <laughs> OK, that's a lot of us. doesn 't matter what age we are though. Um, Andy, the reality is that I can get just as zoned into movies or cowboys games or what else, whatever else. A lot of us are, are suckers for distractions. Maybe yours isn't movies. Maybe your distraction du jour is something else entirely. And John knows that, knows this very well as the leader in this early Christian church. He knows that he's speaking to a group of people who are hungry for leadership and hope as they're under attack. Um, and so in verses 6 through 9, he makes clear that no one but Jesus will offer what they need. He says, a man named John, this is John the Baptist or John the Baptizer, we've heard him mentioned in other openings of Gospels. A man named John was sent from God. He came as a witness to testify concerning the light so that through him everyone would believe in the light. He himself wasn't the light, but his mission was to testify concerning the light. You know, John the Baptist was this really famous figure in Jesus' day. In fact, arguably, especially early on, he was much more famous than Jesus, he had these crowds and throngs of people that would follow him around. He was something of a traveling preacher, and, and, and he would do this, this baptizing thing, and he was calling upon uh, God's Spirit. And, and then we see this moment of baptism between him and Jesus, where it's almost like this mantle is being passed from the, the prophet preparing the way to then Jesus receiving that identity um, and having it proclaimed to others that he is God's beloved child. John the Baptist was so famous, in fact, we read in other Gospels that uh, Herod's wife asked for his head by name, right? You've got to be pretty famous for the, the, the wife of King Herod to know who you are and for you to bother her enough that she wants your head specifically. No one's ever asked for my head, not literally, I don't believe, so that'd be pretty wild. John was very famous. And yet, John's Gospel is clear in articulating that even this guy, who's really good, prepares the way for Jesus prepares the world to receive the Savior of the world. Even John isn't, Jesus, even John is not the source of that light that's illuminating everything. That kind of stuck with me this week as I began to think about those things that I can find... Uh, Distractions, and distractions are funny because they can be good distractions or bad distractions. Not every distraction is built the same. Some are really not helpful. I think about uh, the distractions that I'm prone to. Does any of this sound like you trying to plan the perfect holiday season? That's a horrible distraction, isn't it? Um, Coveting that one gift that will surely make you happy? Does anybody have the, the, uh, the closet of shame in, in your house where it's all the things that you used to think you needed forever and now it's all the tech gear that's collecting dust? Is that just me? That's just me, okay. Um, is it the anxiety of just trying to make it through this season? Maybe that's a distraction that's really unhelpful. Is just that anxiety or that grief of trying to make it through a really difficult season. You know, I, I think... Part of the war on Christmas is is allowing things other than Christ to take our ultimate attention and control, Um, cultural infighting, commercialized greed, anxiety-driven family calendars. None of that builds up the nativity, ultimately. None of it draws us nearer to Christ or to God's manger. Many times, the the greatest casualty in the war on Christmas, I'm afraid, is our attention. Because God's become such a thing, hasn't it? It's such a thing. But, but like I said, not every distraction is the same. So Some are totally unhelpful and need to go away, but, but some are like John the Baptist. They are good. They're, they're just not in and of themselves. The, they're not in and of themselves, Jesus. At their best, they, they point us to Jesus. And so I'm not asking us to have a no-fun Christmas season. Nobody likes that person, right? I won't name names. There's a member of my extended family who... Um, Basically, their family refuses to participate in any of the cultural Christmas stuff, because they really want to stay focused on Jesus. And I swear, it's like for an entire month, they just sit there and read Luke 1 over and over and over again. (laughs) And like, so you're raising your family to just hate Christmas? That's a bold strategy, Cotton. Let's see how it plays out, you know? Um, I'm not asking us to have no fun Christmas. Instead, what I'm asking us is to see what John sees, and that is that this light illuminates everything that the light who is Christ is actually present in everyone and is present in everything if we're willing to look for that light. Even in overwhelming darkness, that light, it says, John says, is not extinguished. And so, in the family gathering that is stressing us out, I wonder if there's some light in there that we might see if we're willing to be open to receive it. In the gift-giving, Andy and I in the car on the way to church this morning were talking about how in gift-giving there's that light of Christ that comes from the generosity of giving and receiving and realizing that I've got enough. In fact, I've got so much that I can give away. And, and in fact, I know that I'm loved because of the way that you give gifts to me. Wow, if that's not the light of Christ, I don't know what is. And so I wonder if in some of these things that are good things, but ultimately at their best they point us to Christ, I wonder if those little lights could shine like in the night sky. And if we could be illuminated by them and, and, and see Christ perhaps in new ways and in new places that before were just distractions. John invites us to make real the life of Christ just as God has made real in Christ. See, that's the craziest thing about receiving this light is that once it illuminates us, we realize this is more than simply a story. We're not just receiving the Luke 2 gospel story again. We're not just learning once again about how the, the baby Jesus is born. You know that story. You don't need to hear it again. The, the gift of Advent, the gift of incarnation, the gift of Christmas is about allowing ourselves to make that story real in the same way that God has made real for us. It means emptying ourselves. It means uplifting the lowly. It means welcoming in the stranger, humbly serving the other, all that really good stuff and really hard stuff that loving Jesus will always lead us to. It's much easier to get distracted and just focus on stories that make us feel good and family festivities, and and those things are good. And ultimately, that's not the ultimate purpose of Christmas, and John is challenging us to dig deeper and to see what we're really being invited into. So then there's this last line. come towards the end of this text. It's one of my favorite lines in all of Scripture. It says, the Word became flesh and made His home among us. We have seen His glory. We have seen His glory like that of God's only Son, full of grace and truth. So, what are you hoping for this Christmas? What's the Christmas gift that's highest on your list? Andy, What's your, what's your number one gift this year? What are you hoping for? Can I tell them? Andy wants a goldfish. That's what she really wants for Christmas. Please, nobody tell her the life expectancy of Petco goldfish, okay? Thank you. Um, it's all good, baby girl. You don't know what that means. Yeah. Uh, what, are, what, what gift are you waiting for? What gift are you hoping for? Right? Uh, chat, let us know what you're asking Santa for. Um, Do you remember being a kid and having that gift that was so high on your list, and and you thought, my gosh, if I just had this, everything would be right in the world, right? What's your Red Ryder BB gun, right? What's that thing that you just had to have? And then the follow-up question is, how long did it make everything right, right? (laughs) How long was it until... That gift either broke or got left behind or made its way into the garage and collected dust until one day you were packing up the garage. You go, Oh my gosh, this is still here. I totally forgot about this thing. This was supposed to change my life, right? Um, sometimes I, I think that this Christmas season, I don't mean to sound like a Scrooge, but there's a lot of years that I feel like my Christmas spirit ended up in the garage at some point. It's been collecting dust, you know, because I get so caught up, like we just talked about, in all the other stuff, all the stuff that comes with Christmas. And I get I get cynical, or I or I get I, I just get Scroogish, right? Bah, humbug! That is one of my favorite phrases this time of year. Sometimes, and then I read John, and I see him say something that sounds like it just flows out of our mouths because we've been doing this Christianity thing for two thousand years, and sometimes the words just lose their flavor. And he says, "We have seen the glory. We have seen the glory." of the word, the glory that could only come from God's only son. And he is full of grace and truth. And I hear John inviting us to imagination through this divine mind language. And I hear John inviting us to see the lights pointing us to Christ. And now I see John inviting us into that that world of wonder that childlike wonder. And it occurs to me that John's asking us not to make Jesus into a child again. Jesus has been a child. We've heard those stories. We know those stories. It's good to hear them again, but it's not earth-shattering news. But rather, maybe John is inviting us to become like children again. And to adopt that same openness and wonder that comes when you open that gift and you think, ah, Christmas magic is right. Or that childlike wonder of counting down the milliseconds until Santa's going to come down your chimney. Or that childlike wonder that perhaps you had at one point for your relationship with God and at some point it got lost along the way. That childlike wonder that ended up in the garage and, and could use a dusting off. It's a lot easier to get sucked into the overly commercialized and cynical Christmas that we have today, um, but I'm so tired of that Christmas, are you? I think I want a Christmas that is full of imagination and a Christmas that, that invites me to see light where I might not expect it, including myself. And ultimately, I think I would love a Christmas that allows me to see my God and my world and my people, and even me, with the eyes of childlike wonder. And, and living and loving like Jesus will come soon enough, but maybe just for one morning, maybe just for one moment, I could sit in that wonder and say, wow. Because again, John says Jesus is everything. And if we'll allow ourselves to be open enough to receive Him, He'll change everything. Wow. I wonder.